Hello and welcome to the Movie Nevins, a film podcast with a married couple talking about movies in Pennsylvania, home of the zombie. I'm Emily. I'm Nick. And this week we're going to talk about the number one movie in the world currently, Thor Ragnarok, um, as well as hopefully uh, a movie called Train to Busan that uh, we watched this week as well. But I guess we'll, we'll kick things off talking about Thor Ragnarok, which is a the third movie in the Marvel's Thor series, which it's, is itself a sort of spinoff of the Avengers, or what would you call that? Uh, well, didn't a Thor Voltron, come before the Avengers? I guess either the first Thor was before they the Avengers. To, see, they had to have all of those like solo shows to yeah, make the Avengers yeah. happen, and now it's just all a big happy. It's family. all a big happy family of cross marketing yes. uh, synergy. Yes. it's it's a whole lot of things. You could draw to sell like a family you. tree. Yeah, yeah, a Voltron of things to buy. <laughs> um, but this movie so, is oh so go ahead. Go I was ahead. just gonna say so normally we start by summarizing the movie, but uh, Nick, you have a an objection to that? Yeah, I think summarizing a superhero movie um, makes you sound like you're a five year old making up some sort of insane fantasy story. <laughs> it is not worth even trying to do. These all follow the same basic plot points. You know, there is a superhero. In this case, he's an you know, a Norse god, as well as just a regular superhero. There's a villain. In this case, it's Kate Blanchett really slumming it. And <laughs> they meet, not cute, and eventually there's some sort of, you know, some sort of series of events where uh, people who can't die punch each other a bunch. <laughs> they just hurt each other a whole lot and don't seem to be hurt. Usually there's 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 some sort of blue energy fire. Oh, this yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one didn't the, have too much the, of that. The thrusting with your body outwards yeah, towards your enemy yeah. to create a force field and they thrust towards you with the same force field. And I, I know, exactly. So, so Who, who cares? It, exactly. Plot, That's not really. the point. The plots are not, aren't the point of, of these sort of things. It's like opera. So you we're going to forego the summary part. I feel like just that little bit of plotting I just did right there made me sound like a five-year-old. Yeah, I was actually kind of bored. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so usually, I'll just preface this, we're, we're kind of, we're, often we don't go see the superhero movies just because, I mean, I, I've basically made like a Batman only kind of rule for myself but there have been a few this year that we've gotten seen just somehow I, I end up seeing them anyway I well I've, I complain about them and then I think, and then I like I hate watch them or something or my <laughs> my family enjoys seeing them so I often see them with my dad and I'll, listen I'll go see I I am I am uh promiscuous when it comes to film i'll say that i'll go see almost anything anybody else You're wants to go see film watcher i'm a promiscuous Ooh, film la. watcher um I so i end up seeing also, almost all these actually. but but i've been i've been telling people for years that uh, uh the the fact that everything i liked when i was a 13 year old is now kind of where the culture is as i'm an adult is almost this like twilight zone style you got what you wanted, but not the way you wanted sort of thing. You <laughs> like know, when I was 13, I was super into the X-Men and Lord of the Rings and Legos and, you know, all these things that that are huge now. But, like, I, I grew up and and it seems like the world didn't. Well, it 
it's just like it, it, there's there's nothing special about most superhero movies now because they literally are just like a practice in this one formulaic storytelling style. Yeah, invulnerable people and, hitting and each other. Like literally, like what's the difference between you know the Thor movies versus like the Iron Man movies well, versus? If we knew more nerds, we'd be getting some I angry know, comments. About I know. Well, we do know nerds, and <laughs> I hope we get angry comments. <laughs> Educate me, people. Anyhow, but the. I would say that probably one of the main reasons that I wanted to see this film um, was, A, the trailer was actually kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like it was poking fun at itself. And uh, the the font that they chose to use for it, that sort of like, you know, He-Man sort of like font that they have at the end of the of the trailer that says yeah. Thor, that, that was pretty 80s-rific. And I... it. it it made me feel like, oh, maybe they're actually going to have fun making this one and, and do something a little stylistically different. And then I found out also that the, what is it, the writer-director of this or just the director? I think he's only credited as director, but I think he, he did end up doing, uh, or he, he says that a lot of the dialogue was improvised on set. So I think uh, he is responsible for a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, so one of the main creative forces behind this, I guess I can say, yeah is uh, a gentleman, a New Zealander by the name of, uh, can I see his name? Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Yes. And uh, he, for those of you who don't recognize his name, which is quite a mouthful to us Westerners, um, he is associated with the lovely Flight of the Concords um, TV show as well. As, did he, he was a writer and director for that. Yeah, yeah. Somewhat with uh, Brit and Jermaine. Yeah. And he also um, made this wonderful film that's called uh, What We Do in the Shadows, I yeah. think. Came out, what, a few years ago? A few ago. years ago. And, um, a mockumentary, if you will. Mockumentary set in New Zealand <laughs> about some buddies who are vampires and live yeah. together. And, and it's funny. I mean, you know, not, not, not great, I wouldn't say, but it's certainly funny. A very particular kind of humor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think New Zealanders must have their own particular kind of humor. I enjoy it personally. I think it's Yeah, no, great. I think he's got this casual sense of humor. I mean, New Zealanders they do a lot of things well. They do rock and roll well. We can talk about, you know, Kiwi Pop, the Flying Nun label, great bands, great music, jangly pop stuff. They do comedy well. It's a pretty great place, I think. You know, I I've got quibbles with Peter Jackson and his, you know, Lord of the Rings business cuz I think a lot of it looks Kind of dumb. Dumb. Little, sh- little uh, Thomas Kincaid <laughs> painting. Painter of light. Painter of light. But, but other than that, you know, everything I've seen come out of New Zealand, I kind of like what they got going on. Right. So, um, anyways, I would say that, yeah, Taika Waititi's um, touch definitely is visible in this Thor. It's Yeah. Makes it a, a somewhat more unique take on Thor that I think has been done before. I think we've reached this stage where these these uh, Marvel superhero movies, especially the Marvel ones, I mean, the DC ones are a little bit different, I think, but but uh, they're, they're trying to sort of make them um, more individual than, than they used to be, I think. You know, I mean, I think you can look back and you can see the producers themselves getting bored with it and trying to, like, you know make not just a superhero movie, but a superhero comedy. Uh, there's there's some weird-looking X-Men-related movie coming out that looks like a superhero horror movie, yeah. which is an interesting idea. Uh, you know, I'm not sure this movie is going to be any good, but but I do think that it's an interesting idea. So you're getting these, like, superhero slash 
other genre movies. Right. So can we just say that the superhero film in and of itself is a new genre? I mean, I would. It's, really, yeah, it's like a like it's, a like western, like you know. Yeah, like, like, like there's. I mean, there you definitely have like you get like western romances, there, but I, I would say that like the superhero film in say like the last ten years has really become its own genre, which you know is demonstrated by the fact that like how many superhero movies came out this year alone. I don't. I, so I don't far, have those numbers for you. I, no, but a I mean, lot. like I think <laughs> there's quite a few, you know, and and so I don't think it's uh, and they they do have like very specific sorts of features. Obviously, the superheroes in and of themselves are mm-hmm. identifying feature, but um, but yeah, it's interesting that it's getting to a point as a genre where I think you're right. There's people who are interested in not just doing the formulaic thing that keeps making them money, but w- are are interested in branching out into trying different sorts of forms of entertainment using the structure they have using the sort of the characters that they know they have to use using the plot that they sort of know that they have to put in place yeah um which is interesting but i i will say that i for me as a film goer uh i don't think it's been entirely successful yet i mean maybe someday it's gonna be but i feel like a lot of this is hobbled by the fact that these movies are so incestuously interrelated true and the movies themselves um are always selling you on future movies Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, totally, that's the point totally. of it is to like reward yeah, you. But they've kind of also gotten to the point, though, where they're just like they've established like we were saying, there were all of those sort of like solo Avenger mm-hmm. movies. And then they came out with the the Avengers. And that was so big. And people were like, yeah, the Avengers. And then we're getting all these kind of like solo pictures again that are, you know, I, I think that they're a little they're pulling back a little from that sort of forward momentum of like, OK, now we have to set up to make this other giant film happened. Well, it's a way of creating event films, you know? I mean, it's a way of, of like, you know, you you have, you create individual stars and then you have them come together for, like, you know, the modern equivalent of you know, Follies of Broadway 1933 <laughs> or something like, you know what I mean? Like those, yeah, those movies that used yeah. to have Parade ensemble. of Stars. Yeah, it's like an ensemble a Parade of Stars cast, sort of thing. Right? So, um, yeah, I would say that I think that this one in particular kind of makes me feel feel like it's going for more of like you said the superhero comedy kind of mm-hmm. thing which i think actually is done best by the guardians of the galaxy movies those two movies i like i don't even care that they're superhero <laughs> movies like i just laugh the yeah. entire way through them the soundtracks are great well those those come up they more like space perfectly. operas they're more like yes. like a like a star wars and space balls you know like 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 pitch between those well, they're, things so they're kind of you, you they're not quite like as they're funny as like baseballs. Sci-fi yeah they're more movie. more exactly yeah exactly. i would agree with you there um, but they're really funny and i feel like this thor i never saw the other thors you saw the first i saw the first one, one which was a kenneth Branagh movie believe it or not my god uh and was terrible it was my it god. was literally short circuit with an aryan god uh, instead of a robot it was not a How good about movie that elevator pitch <laughs> yeah <laughs> not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, so bad that I, I even refused to see the second Thor. Yeah, but so you felt like this one was worth taking a yeah, yeah, well, and seeing. And do you feel like that paid off? Feel like it was entirely different than the the first one or something? Yeah, or? this was this movie was good enough. This movie was about thirty percent of what I had hoped it would be, which is still you know more than I mean I, I'd call it the best superhero movie of the year barring Guardians of the Galaxy 2 I guess that's a superhero movie too uh it, it's not as funny as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies um it's a little more maimed by having to fit itself in with the rest of the Marvel marketing schemata I think um 
but but there are moments you can see the that kind of warped lazy uh laid back sense of humor from like, for example Taika Waititi. when uh when when Mark Ruffalo uh, is wearing what would have been Tony Stark's clothing, and he yeah. keeps having to adjust his junk because <laughs> he says Tony Stark wears his, t- his pants too we tight. Did. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I think the kind of like casual sort of yeah, and just some of the some right? of the dialogue. The, the The preview itself made it look like this kind of great. I don't know, alien uh, uh, beyond Thunderdome mixed with Big Trouble in Little China. You know, like 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 a very self-aware sort of throwback to like '80s parody action movies. Um, yeah, and I, I would just say I think that was done by that font alone. That yeah, font well, and some of the some of the, the jokes that, and there were some yeah. great jokes in the yeah. trailer. I mean, that moment when when you know, like it's it's setting up like this gladiator style combat, and then you know Thor's gonna fight the Hulk, and he's all happy. And he's like, I know we're friends from work. Yeah, that is great. That's that a is pretty good joke. That's a pretty. That's a great yeah. joke. That's a great moment. It's a pretty human. It works moment, in the right? movie. Yeah. It works uh, outside the movie. You know, it's funny. It, it's what you want in a film. But but I will say, like I said, that's about thirty percent of the movie. The movie starts really strong. I think the opening scene with Thor, where he's like trapped by this demon thing, but he's not really trapped because, of course, he's Thor. Yeah. And he's like narrating to the audience, and also to a you know a skeleton in the cage with him. Yeah. That's goofy and like uh, uh, a cabin boy slash the shadow kind of way. Like uh, goofy in a way that you don't see in these kind of movies. You see more uh, fast-paced television writing in these movies. This was goofy in, in, a, in a, a a way that reminded me of stuff like Shaun of the Dead more than it did like Buffy well, Vampire so, Slayer. Yeah, so but again, Shaun of the Dead is a film where... Uh, it's a zombie comedy. It's a, it's a zombie comedy after like a really long tradition of zombie movies. Mm-hmm. So it's at the point where it can point back to those and say we're kind of like goofing you know, bunking on the, yeah. the tradition yeah. here. And I think maybe that's where that's where Thor perhaps where this that's movie where lies. the the best parts of Thor are, which most of those best parts will. Uh, Take place on whatever like junk planet that's ruled by Jeff oh, Goldblum. Oh yes, so so there's there's sort oh of a God. mini movie within this movie. I mean, there's some there's some funny stuff at the beginning, and then there's some plot device stuff. They they shoehorn <laughs> in Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange just to remind you that that was probably the last Marvel movie you saw. Um, and and the recapping moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they uh, they introduce the villain, which who cares. And then they 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 sort of have this detour that takes place on some sort of you know weird junk planet, the junkyard planet ruled by Jeff Goldblum as some sort of I don't know what would what, you compare his character to? It's really hard to say. I Jeff Goldblum is like his own entity. I don't know. And he's like- great in it. <laughs> and he's really funny. And and this whole that that whole portion of the movie I think is the the part that that works before. Things get back to Norse god planet and <laughs> get kind of dumb for a while, yeah. you know. Again, I mean, you know, Idris Elba's in this movie for no reason because he was just in the previous movies and he's given nothing, nothing worth to do, yeah. worthwhile to do. Yeah. Uh, but the, the but the part of the movie that works is really funny, and like I said, it's a riff on kind of a Mad Max kind of thing. It's a riff on Gladiator. Um, it's a riff on Big Trouble in Little China in some regards. It's a riff on on a lot of things that that I hold near and dear to my heart. 
Um, and Chris Hemsworth is funny in this movie. I, I think yeah, that I think that guy true. also, I, you know, I would never have thought that he had a sense of humor except for that Ghostbusters movie that he was in uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he plays like a, a total himbo um, secretary to the Lady Ghostbusters. And th- I, I was surprised by his performance in that movie, actually. I thought he was, again, he just made me laugh so much. Yeah. Um, and so, we, yeah, I guess that gave me a little confidence in going to see this film because I thought, well, he's done funny before. I think he was really funny in Ghostbusters. So, And he wasn't quite that level of funny in this because he still had to be... Heroic in parts. Yeah, but... But, but uh, he, in parts he, he was. I think he actually is a guy who has a sense of humor. Unlike, for example, Kate Blanchett, who didn't seem to understand that there was like humorous writing going on versus like serious I'm not sure what she could have done necessarily with that she didn't have a lot of great lines no but Um, she just she's so damn serious all the time yeah it's like watching Tom Cruise try to be funny yeah it just doesn't so in a way I mean you had some yeah some great performances comedically you had Chris Hemsworth I think uh Tom Hiddleston yeah, as, yeah. Loki as Loki made more sense in this film because then you've ever seen that him guy isn't intimidating. When they had him as a villain in the first Avengers movie, I think that's the first time yeah, he yeah. appeared, right? No, no, he was in the first Thor movie oh, that you didn't see. Sorry, never Which is very <laughs> self-serious, too. So, But he's not an intimidating guy. There's nothing about that actor that can come off as being villainous. No. He's he's kind of like an untrustworthy looking guy, maybe, but like not villainous. He's got greasy black hair. Not That's villainous hair. It's not menacing though. No. There's nothing really menacing about him. So he's also kind of funny. I think his relationship with Thor is is a little more like natural and comedic and sort of whatever. And also you have Jeff Goldblum in this film, who is like he's just a powerhouse of like oddball humor. Yeah. That guy does that kind of thing so well. He was so well cast. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching him. Like I think when he shows up, it kind of picks up a lot of that the 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 tone of what they're going for and just solidifies it in a way where yeah. you, you get that. Uh, and then every time it cuts back to Kate Blanchett, you're like, what movie is this? Yeah, Kate Blanchett's so, not good. The guy that plays what plays Scotty in the Star Trek, the new Star Trek movies, he's in it too in kind of a thankless role. Oh, he's not Scotty. He's oh, he's Doctor he's Dr. Well, Dr. Uh, McCoy. McCoy. Yes. Yeah. yeah that he, guy. He also has a thankless role, but he gets anyhow. a couple moments where he's he's allowed to be funny, yeah. and then he get, he has to sort of uh, yeah. be part of the half of the movie that's not any good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's dictated from above. I think it seems. Yeah. Um, um, what was the name of that young actress who plays the? Um, the Valkyrie. Oh yes, uh, uh, her I, name is, is Tessa right? Thompson. Her character she's is Valkyrie. Valkyrie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's she was really good in it. Where I was thought it? she's she's. From uh, the... We've seen her in Westworld. Right, with that's her. right. She's one of those faces, and she's not very like... good in Westworld. I don't think. Not no. I mean, not that and most great. of that is that her character is is makes no sense in Westworld. Right. She had some really surprisingly good moments in this film, and I actually thought that her chemistry with Mark Ruffalo, when when he's Mark Ruffalo and yeah. not the Hulk. And they kind of have this, like, I know you think. It's just, there's something really delightful about that, too, which yeah. was, I wish I had more of that in the it's, film. It's interesting, because she gets to be the, like, the 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 Han Solo-ish rogue-style yeah. character, like, of, of dubious morals. She gets to be this hard-drinking, hard-fighting, loner-type person that you usually, you don't see uh, women often in those roles. And she does a, she does a, a, a great charismatic job at it, and, yeah. I mean, you know. I thought I thought that was that was 
pretty cool. I, I like thought she was see, pretty I'd great. Like I'd like to see, see her in more, more, of these more of these sort of films. I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. she'd be a, a welcome presence. She's beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, but you know, like I said, I, I would, I'd call it a solid five. You know, out it's of what? Five out of ten. It's worth seeing. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, like it if passes you are the time. into superhero movies. If you like them, it's worth, you yeah. You saw Guardians of the Galaxy, and you're like, I'd settle for something similar to that. yeah. It's going to make me laugh somewhat. It's not quite as good as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, by any no, means. It feels no. less, it feels more, like I said, more dictated from above by, like, marketing execs. Mm-hmm. Where it feels like a really good commercial is what it feels Do like. Do you feel like Taika... Uh, Taika Waititi? Waititi had a lot of directorial um, no. say over this film? I, there was a really interesting around. article in the New York Times uh, a couple of weeks before the film came How out. How did he even get chosen for this? Do you know that? Well, apparently they had they had uh, they had a couple directors come in to talk about it, and they wanted to talk to him for God knows what reason. Before this, the only CGI work he'd ever done was for a commercial, actually. Weird. And Did- and and he he made them like a sizzle reel of like ideas for Thor, basically, and he had scored it with a. Uh, the only thing, of course, the only logical thing you would score this with is, of course, uh, Led Zeppelin's "Immigrant Song." Used to great effect in the movie, yeah. And uh, and the the executives liked it, and they liked him, and they they decided to throw a couple hundred million dollars at him. That's kind of crazy, though. Exactly, and he did a great job. And I mean, I think I mean in some ways, I'm I I'm I'm real happy to see a guy like that do that. But in other ways, it is interesting that it used to be the idea was like you know if you're a director and you get these these giant jobs i mean this is a movie that's that's just making money hand over fist right it's a giant film he he knocked it out of the park he delivered for these studio guys he came in as a hired hand he gave him what he wanted and he's put enough of his own stamp on it that you feel like it's like it's got some life and breath to it so you'd be like okay well that's great this guy can now go back and do whatever he wants to do, right? He can, yeah, I would he can think go he's back to his career. Probably the richest man in New Zealand now, right? <laughs> well, Peter Jackson's there still. You oh, forget about really? that. Really, Peter Jackson he'll, he'll has the, moved to the. He'll US. be the second richest man okay. in New Zealand, which is a good place to be, I would think. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so but if you look at the directors of most of these these superhero movies, they don't really end up doing much else. Christopher Nolan does did. He's about the last one I can think of. <laughs> like you said, did. Well, I mean, in his history, you know, like yeah. he, he, no, I get you. he parlayed these Batman movies into a career of being able to do basically whatever prestige right. project right. he wants to do. But for instance, okay, Joe Johnston, who is an old hand, um, he made the Rocketeer movie back in the day. He made Jumanji. He made a bunch of like, you know, not great, but fun movies that we all grew up on. He he made that uh, that the cap- first Captain America movie, which made a lot of money. And people, it, it got some pretty good uh, critical reviews too. Um, and then his very next project went straight to DVD, straight Crazy. to video. You know, so and then you have like uh, uh, people like um, who's the guy that made the Avengers movies, which are like the you know one of the, the fifth largest movie ever made, I think, or whatever. Let's think of his name, Joss Whedon. Oh right. What has he made? What's what's the Joss Whedon passion project that happened after the Avengers? I don't know. He made Avengers too. That's what he made. No. You get sort of stuck into doing these things. So do you think that what happens is people get sort of they get hired to do these big superhero movies mm-hmm. as directors, writers, whatever, and then essentially afterwards they don't. Like they're stamped with, they can only do that one thing. I think that there's a success level that can be too much success. 
And I think that when you get that far, you turn into a George Lucas. Well, like, so, so like, the next project they want to work on, they go to a studio and they say, hey, I want to direct this thing for you. And they're like, no, you're too overqualified. Yeah, exactly. You made, <laughs> you made that superhero movie last year. You're you want to make a $20 million you're movie? No, no. We can never pay you that much. Let's add another couple zeros to that budget. <laughs> and let's make it. I mean, it's like Peter Jackson. Look at Peter Jackson, even. Well, after yeah. oh, my his God. career after Lord career. of the Rings. Well, look at it before. <laughs> he made some interesting movies. Not yeah. great movies, but he no. made some real interesting movies, some real fun movies, some real low-key movies. After Lord of the Rings, what did he make? Well, he, he went big again with King Kong. Yeah. To less effect. And then he that made... a good movie, though. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Um, and then, then he made the, the Lovely Bones, which was a movie that should have been a small movie, oh. but had a giant budget and didn't he really do that, that well. Yeah. Gosh, that was a good movie. You thought it was a good movie? That was a good movie. But that that was that was that I was a weird that was, him that was a weird project mm-hmm. as far as I don't think it made back its 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 money in any way and I mm-hmm. think it was it was ended up being budgeted way too high for what it could possibly have done. Mm. So yeah, you know, I mean these guys they get I think they get trapped by these multi, you know, like hundreds of million of dollar budgets. I mean George Lucas is another one to look at. His career before Star Wars um, is some little interesting movies in his career after Star Wars is Star Wars, a couple weird bombs in Star Wars. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 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 you, yeah, you don't really usually get to do that one for the studio, one for you thing that guys like Francis Ford Coppola and uh, Chris Nolan get yeah. away with. Well, so how do you think that this reflects on, say, like the actors that are in this movie, in these movies? Because like, this is something that like you and I have talked about. We're like, there's there's like weird uh, expectations of men and their bodies in these movies oh. where, you know, I yeah. kind of wonder like so. So a lot of this movie I spent just like looking at Chris Hemsworth's arms like he <laughs> he might not have been there. It really could have just been like Chris Hemsworth's arms. Disembodied arms of Thor. <laughs> yes. Just, just the film. His arms could have been in this film and there could have been like a uh, like a sensor dot where the rest of his body was the whole time. I mean, his arms are really that distractingly large. Uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoy seeing this man's exquisite body, but there is something also grotesque about it and I spent a lot of time thinking about how to, where does he buy shirts? How does he, you know, like, how does this man, like, function daily? And, and like, more importantly, like, it made me think of, say, all of the other men that have become superheroes recently, like, say... Chris um, Evans. Or... Chris Evans, who is really built. And um, I think that uh, Hugh Jackman, when he was playing Wolverine, yeah. became, I mean, if you look at like what he looked like at the beginning of that versus the Logan movie, yeah, it's almost, he looks more grotesque at the end of his career. And, and you think, well, what is this guy going to do after that? He's just an actor. You know, this is not someone who is The Rock. Who came into acting via being a wrestler and and Hollywood needing to cast a guy who was built like that? These are men who were just actors. I mean, they were probably in good shape, but like they've done things to their bodies where now they have arms that are the size of tree trunks. Mm-hmm. And and there's not a lot of roles where you can just hide that. You and don't think you can just like do it's not important. No romantic comedies with. I mean, they could, but. But like really, Chris Hemsworth isn't that old. 
Yeah. Like, what is he going to do with the rest of his career and those enormous freaking well, arms? He'll probably be able to play Thor as long as he wants. But but you do get kind of typecast know, as, kind these, of wonder, as this really like, limited but, thing. But again, like, here's the thing. So if, if the directors of these movies are sort of like, well, they can do these really big pictures and they're not allowed to, then nobody wants them to do something smaller. Well, what about these actors? Like, is it yeah. like they are just superheroes now? They can't do anything really, like little. I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I do definitely have concerns, like deep concerns over. I do what think it's- these men are being expected to do to their bodies, and also what, what like young men, because you you go to these movies and you see boys, like little boys mm-hmm. and girls. But, like, the little boys that are sitting there in the seats behind us, like, kicking our seats and talking through the movie, like, what are they getting out of seeing a guy who has, like, an unrealistic body? Like, nobody, I saw a guy once in real life that had a body like that. And and let me tell you, in real life, just in the real world, mm-hmm. it's freakish. And kind of, no, it is terrifying, actually, because people don't look like that. Yeah. People don't have these huge, massive muscles Unless there's like some really good reason, like they're a wrestler or something. But, but like, I think that there's a lot of what's going on now. Like we've just said that there is like a whole genre. It's been around for about ten years. I mean, it started out like you know remember seventeen. Remember back when we we you know were kids and uh, Michael Keaton played Batman. Yeah, yeah. Imagine a guy like that being cast in a superhero movie now. It just wouldn't happen because he'd have to be built. Like Chris yeah, Hems- yeah, he Hemsworth. he couldn't play it's Batman just, these days. There's no way, you know. There's and I don't know. I think that also like what these men have to go through to get to that. I mean, you and I have seen what The Rock eats. Yeah, on a what a weekly basis. <laughs> How many pounds? <laughs> all of the fish, cod and all the eggs. It's like it's kind of an insane diet. But yeah, like, it's but a like full time job to to be in that shape. Cannot achieve that kind of body. And, uh, and and here's another thing. I would like to just point out, because I was also, like, again, I spent a lot of Thor thinking about these arms. <laughs> and I was like, okay, the dude, is, the dude is a Norse god, right? So he should look pretty, you know, whatever. But at the same time, like, he's just really flipping strong. He doesn't need to have those yeah. arms to demonstrate his strength, I think right? Lawrence Olivier played Zeus in Clash of the Titans, and yeah, he didn't I work mean, out for I that mean, one. It's kind of almost like... A, a like a reversal of the like the the understanding of strength, right? Like if you're a god, you could be the size of like a, a, a string bean and be as strong as whatever, because you're a god. Yeah, that's just how it works. You don't need the arms. No, I, to I do. I do think this strength. is. I mean, when I when when I was a kid, that was the first generation of people that were really unnaturally steroidally built, right? That like were actors Arnold like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester yeah. Stallone back then. Yeah. But those um, guys are not guys who were just actors to begin with, right? Even well, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone. Stallone more so. Stallone Did, was in porn before uh, okay. he was an actor. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, like <laughs> these are not guys by and large like The Rock, like you know, yeah, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. These are not guys who got into it by being. These aren't guys just like Hugh Jackman that were in musical theater. They they started know. out by. Building their body for a purpose yeah. of entertainment or, yeah. or, you know, bodyguarding or whatever. And then Hollywood said, oh, hey, we need somebody who's like extraordinarily large and muscular. Yeah. And so we're going to make that guy an actor. And they were large in a bit of a different way than I think a lot of the guys are now. Completely. Where, where you, you you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was built like like 
a bodybuilder. I mean, because he was one, and so yeah. he was he was like this large guy all over kind of. And you used to see more of that sort of thing. Lou Ferrigno on TV is the Incredible Hulk, and the, those sort of guys. The guys today today are like they're just actors, and then they're supposed to get big, and so all of a sudden you see them in movies, and they've got this weird veiny zero body fat. No body hair. No body hair. Which is also incredibly unrealistic, um, but whatever. Um, like, like, like giant muscle thing that kind of makes, you know, it, it looks like, like, like fake breast look where it's like these sort of like pop out on the wrong body type uh, uh, appendages. Yeah. And that is interesting. And I, I do, I mean, I, I wonder how these guys are going to age because they're clearly doing something to get these bodies that people in previous generations didn't do. Yeah. I mean, whether it involves steroids or involves some sort of weird training regimen of, of some kind, uh, you know, y- you got to wonder what kind of sacrifices they're being asked to make in the name of, of you know, kids movies. Yeah. That I don't think the kids really care about the, these, no, these part of but it. They're, but they're also setting a precedent that, like, like I said, it doesn't... So you're, you're worried about the children, the children and the body I'm worried about the youth. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's like you don't... Previously, people didn't need that visual, right? They yeah, didn't, they didn't need to have a guy. Well, I mean, with it, these arms that take over. It the is screen. interesting that that they were fine with Michael Keaton in a bat suit. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there wasn't a need for that. So it's just interesting to me that I, there's I, like what. <laughs> How is it going to evolve further? Yeah, is a question well, in my mind. These films are interesting to me because because they they. Uh, as the international market for these sort of movies gets bigger and bigger, and these these superhero movies are huge internationally, right? They're not just made. They're not the just US made for the U.S. in mind. They're they're made for an international market. You have you know the old Hollywood idea is like, well, every 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 movie they want to have successfully, you need to have a woman take off her you know shirt in, right? <laughs> that was that was sort of the the way they used to make PG thirteen movies. It's not the case anymore. There's barely any sex in movies. Sexuality is not really in these sorts of films at all. But all of them do feature a shirtless scene with this, like, really built dude superhero. You know what I mean? Yeah, so we've gone from having, like, topless women sell movies to having topless topless men. men. Who have, I would say, bigger boobs than most of the ladies. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of, (laughs) I mean, you get your nipples anyway, but they're just on a a different sort of, on, yeah. And, and and I find that really kind of kind of interesting. I wonder if that's like a, a sop to try to get more women to go to the say these movies yeah. or I mean I, don't I will know. say I enjoy I you know, even though I find these types of bodies like grotesque in yeah. real life, it's it's Well it's like it's like it's watching like, candy like Cindy Crawford or like some of the eighties ladies when, when when fake breasts were kind of the du jour thing. Yeah. You know, like it's it's not yeah I don't know that most People, most viewers ever expected real people to look like that. It's sort right. of a kabuki version of of a representation right. of, of bodies. Right. I mean, like, yeah, like obviously it's fantasy film. Yeah. We don't go to the movies to see our daily lives yeah. because that would be boring. And but funny. I mean, dudes, you're you're doing all these movies in CG anyway. You could do all that in CG I know. too. Well, he maybe save, maybe save these guys his some arms time. Aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe those are just CGI'd arms. I would, I, I, I would hope so because it seems like you know every time I see a guy who's like really built like that, I think of all the books they never read because you know like that takes a lot of time. That really hey, does. They could be listening to audio. I guess they, they could be listening to audio while they're they pumping train. that iron. That's true. This is true. I, I could if be smart. I could be judging that. wrong. If they were smart, they would be. Yeah. <laughs> they could be MIT lectures only. That's what the Rock does. I'm sure. <laughs> can we just talk about? 
about something else like sure. super sure. Yeah, gossipy then, then, for okay. a second. Uh, so another thing that Jeff Goldblum does in this, um, he plays like this really like sort of bisexual, like ambiguous sexuality kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. And I, it was like one of those things where I realized like he does that so well and he's kind of like always done that really well. Well, he's, didn't, he's been, definitely been doing that since at least the 80s. He was in that... It's kind of a terrible Robert Altman movie called Beyond Therapy, based on an. Uh, uh, whose play is that? I oh, forget. is it a. Oh, crap. Um, well, well, anyways. You know. Um, I'll come up with it in a second. Yeah, yeah, whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> anyways, and, and he plays a bisexual character, and that was like, you know, he was one of the first guys to do that. And, you know, and that's sort of his thing. He does this, he does it in, in Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic as well. Um, yeah. And some other movies too. He's straight in real life, right? As far as I'm married aware, he's married, kid? he has kids. He's married to like a Olympic, you know, contortionist. Canadian Olympic contortionist, contortionist who doesn't like want to be married to very much his junior. <laughs> that sounds like um, a joke, though, doesn't it? And he oh used to God. be married to Gina Davis too. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. yeah. So as far as I, as far as I'm aware, but he does, he definitely does that sort he of ambiguous sexuality so well. So well, I think he does it so well in this, and he's it's really just a funny at it. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's like he's a pretty. I'm uh, glad to see he's doing that still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on real quick because yes. we, we don't. I think we don't that's all we need to time. say about Thor. Um, yeah. So it is Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you you like the movie? Did you like it better than me? You I think, enjoyed or you... it, but it still bored me at moments. Yeah, because it gets boring when you have this person's all evil and they're super strong, and this person's all good and they're super strong. Yeah. And now they're gonna fight. It's just yeah. Those what do you think is gonna happen? You know, Thor's gonna not happen. gonna die at the end, people. It's <laughs> yeah. not gonna happen. So. You can uh, fall asleep and not miss much. Speaking of movie where people certainly do die at the end, uh, let's move do you on. Get to talk about Train to Busan. Train to Busan. Oh my god! So Nick put this movie on for me. What, okay, how did we stream it? Was it Netflix? It was on Netflix. It's on Netflix okay, currently. This is one of those like total rare treats. It's a Korean film. Nick put it on. He's like, "You're gonna love this," and he didn't tell me what it was. We started watching. I think in the first like. Two minutes, you know it's a zombie film because a guy hits a deer and then he drives off and then the deer gets up and it has zombie eyes and it runs away. Anyway, so so uh, this film was such an awesome surprise. It was uh, like my new favorite zombie film. It's so weird. I've never seen an Asian zombie film. I don't think you? I have either, yeah. I don't even know if another Asian zombie... Well, there have to, there be, have to be somewhere Asian zombie films. People, if you know of other J- Asian zombie films, tell me. Because this is... I haven't seen nearly enough of them. Yeah. This one, like I said, Korean? It's a Korean film from last year, uh, directed by a man named Sang-ho Yeon, I believe. Y-E-O-N is his last name. I butcher names all the time, so I apologize in advance to anyone. Sang-ho-yeon. Blanket apology to for mispronunciation. But but it's a, it's a you know the the elevator pitch for this is of course Korean zombies on a train. Yeah. So I had this idea for a movie years and years back about zombies in the New York subway tunnels, and I was like obsessed with this idea. Yeah. Uh, and this is the first time I've ever seen that sort of idea been, you know, done, been executed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a like more like a high speed commuter train. And there's um, a father and his very young daughter. She's probably like six or seven. Yeah. And they are leaving uh, maybe Seoul. 
Are they leaving Seoul? I don't, just I don't know. It's pretty big city yeah. in uh, South Korea. And they're taking the train out to Busan where her mother lives. And um, and there is a zombie outbreak. And there's a zombie and it, outbreak. It sort of slowly creeps upon the action of this film. And, and you know, eventually somebody on the film on the train is a zombie and bites some other people and everybody turns into zombies on the train. Well, it's just what you would imagine in a zombie Pretty film. much everything but, you would want. But it, it's done with panache. It's done with style. Um, there's you some know, great zombie things. There's some like, great zombie uh, things. For example, in this film, the zombies cannot operate uh, or they, they don't know how to open and close doors. Yeah, there's yeah. there's like a so they basically like they, they close the one door to the one train and then all the zombies are standing right outside and they're trying to hold it shut and then they're like wait a minute the zombies can't actually they don't know how to operate the handles on the doors mm-hmm. so they just let go and the zombies are just like gnashing their teeth outside this door and they can't, they <laughs> they don't even like look for how to open it there's like great things like that that I I don't think also again I haven't really seen that done in zombie films it yeah, just makes it it makes it fun and kind of humorous there's a couple notable sort of you know sort of things like that 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 make it more of a uh, a zombie movie from a different culture in a way that that i find interesting there's so. the zombies really strike a pose when they become zombies yeah. in this way that reminds me of a uh, you know that what the, was that Japanese street style culture called yeah, the fruits? fruits yeah, fruits, how fruits pose? Yeah, they're like whoo, they do these. They do these great like like yeah sort of head very back angular, almost like all their bones are broken <laughs> or they. You know, a lot of fun. These of guys are having fun with it, and, it, and they it's make fun. these crazy faces. They make really crazy faces. I think a lot of this we were we were sort of. Um, no, we were comparing a lot of the stylistic poses and facial expressions of the zombies to, um, like ca- cartoons. Or, yeah, or like, sort of like comic drawn sort of. And it turns out the director. This is his first live action he'd made. Uh, he'd made animated movies previously. Well, and the, I think this that one in fact shows. is a sequel to an animated uh, prequel that's called. Uh, is it? Soul Station? What was the first one? I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, I don't remember Anyways, either. we need to go back and watch that one, too. But um, Yeah, I mean, you know, the story itself, the actors themselves, they do an adequate job. I wouldn't say anyone's, like, fantastic. It's, well, it's, no, it's but definitely there's like, also some interesting, like, so there's, like, the the high school um, baseball team, and there's one girl who's sort of tagging along with them. I don't, is she a cheerleader? I don't even know. She's just yeah. one And she sort of has this thing with this one guy. And so, of course, they're sort of like survivors from that group. And then there's this one really super, super angry businessman who's just yelling and screaming the whole time. Uh, and, of course, you really want him to die. Well, I mean, it's like and any movie with a, you know, any sort of traveling airport plain movie where there's yeah. a cast of characters there's a and, homeless man yeah, yeah yeah who has a very heroic moment towards the end um but and and the zombies themselves i think there's also some really funny moments where they sort of keep piling up against things mm-hmm. like glass walls until eventually it breaks and they all just kind of fall well, i think one of the notable things about this is that as far as i could tell the zombies weren't really cgi'd at all so it's very different than than how they get made in america these days like things like world war z where you have this faceless horde of zombies right that this are pretty cgi much more like it seems much more personal bodies of in a way people. i mean it, it was cool it was it was fun it was a good time you know i mean you know it's a zombie film not great art but but a great a great time uh, really interesting and notable for being the first korean zombie movie i've seen it really moves as a picture it's got a lot of forward momentum and you know keeps your your interest the whole way through so i would 
highly recommend it. And if you've got Netflix, hey, it's free on there. You're paying for it anyway. <laughs> watch this. It's better than a lot of the crap you're going to yeah, watch. Yeah, you're going to have to read some stuff. But whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. you love the Korean movies anyway. You've been a big fan I lately. I have been obsessed with Korean movies recently, yes. All right. So um, um, do we want to – you got anything else you want to say about it, or should we wrap this up? I think that's – Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up for this week, and we'll talk to you hey, next week. what are week. we seeing next week, Nick? Well, probably we're going to see another train movie, of course. <gasps> Kenneth Branagh, once again, will uh, hopefully make up for his terrible Thor movie with uh, his new version of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Wait. More train movies. More train movies. Sure. No zombies in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.